Lord, we thank you for tonight. Uh, Lord, I thank you that uh, at the end of a long day, midweek, we get to gather together and open up the word and um, hopefully grow in knowledge and understanding of who you are, what your design is, and how we're supposed to live. Lord, I know that in any given lesson or sermon or um, time of Bible study and in any given time of conversation that you can do multiple things at once. Uh, you can be warning one while you're informing another. Uh, you can be um, bringing something to mind in one person's mind while another person needs to hear something different, but it's all according to your will. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that um, this is not just something happening in the flesh, but that it's a work of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you are communicating what you want to be heard to your children. And I pray that each of us are equipped in the manner we need to be equipped to do the work of ministry that you've called us to. Lord, we're reminded in this narrative that um, we exist for your glory. And when we start to do things our own way and stray from your design and your purposes that you have laid forth clearly in Scripture, that we really mess things up and we, we misrepresent the truth, we misrepresent you. And so, Lord, I pray that um, tonight you would uh, sharpen our minds. Uh, let this be something that isn't just head knowledge, but um, finds purchase in our hearts. Um, so that you are honored and glorified in the way we respond to these truths. Uh, Lord, we pray for those who are uh, traveling right now, particularly uh, Colin Roberts and uh, his crew uh, heading to the Sudan. I uh, pray that they, uh, the ministry that they do there is uh, God-honoring, God-glorifying. pray that you keep them safe as they travel, keep them uh, from sickness and danger, and let them put your glory on display. Uh, pray also for my brother and uh, sisters there in uh, Haiti doing work there. Pray that you would guide them, give them insight into what they're supposed to be doing as well. Lord, we love you very much. We count it a great privilege to gather here tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we'll be in Genesis 30. A couple questions to jump back in and then we'll read it aloud. Um, this is a very, I'll say it's a weird chapter. The last three chapters have been uh, interesting to say the least. Uh, last week, what did we see happen almost immediately when Jacob, Rachel, and Leah began to live together. Well, first of all, why are they living together? Why are Jacob, Leah, and Rachel living together? Yeah, because it's weird and broken and messed up. Because Jacob married Rachel and Leah. You're not supposed to marry multiple people. You're supposed to marry one person. And so uh, this is pretty messed up from the get-go. Uh, what happens almost immediately when they begin this life together? Strife. Where do we see strife? What happens? Yeah. Yeah, Rachel's the pretty one. Leah's the not pretty one. Uh, and Leah can have babies. Rachel evidently can't. It says in verse 29, or verse 30 of uh, chapter 29, so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. You see favoritism immediately. You see preference of one over the other immediately. That's why it's not God's design that you just take as many wives as you see fit. Um, here we see when there's only two, there's immediate favoritism and, and uh, division within the family. Last week we considered when one is not loved sufficiently, uh, what is it seen as not being very different from? If one is not loved sufficiently, it's not very different from what? Hate. Yeah. What we see is that it says that um, he, he showed favor. And then in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. And what we see there is that if you have someone who is not 
If you have a man who's not loving his wife sufficiently as God has ordained that he loves her as Christ loved the church, what you see is that um, that's not really much different than hate. It's not enough just to say, well, I don't hit her. I don't push her around. I don't cuss her. Um, when she's not loved sufficiently and honored as God sees fit, it's not much different than hate. Um, God saw that Leah was hated. Uh, what did God reveal about his plans and how his plans differed from Jacob's? If it, if it were up to Jacob, what would the, what would the story be? Would he have woken up with Leah? Yeah, no, no, that's not his choice. He would have picked the lovely fair Rachel. Okay, would Leah even be more than just a sister who he saw at the wedding ceremony? Probably not. And who would be bearing children? Probably Rachel if it was up to Jacob's plan. But what God shows is that God has a different plan than Jacob has. And it's hard when we're reading this because we're like, oh, but he loved Rachel. And, and oh, but this, this, this just seems backwards and unfair. If you take it at face value, you could say that it's clear that God desired that he marry Leah, not Rachel. And that gets really, really complicated. And so we're going to talk through some of that tonight. Uh, in Isaiah 45, 7, go ahead and turn there. I want us to just be mindful of this as we're reading through all this calamity and all this weirdness. I want us to be mindful that God's not up in heaven going, Oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, what a surprise. Oh, man, that's going to keep me up tonight. God's not doing that. But in fact, though God does not, um, he's not the author of sin, does not ordain that we sin, one of the things we've, we've encountered is that he can take what one person meant for bad, what one person meant to be self-serving, and he can use it for kingdom good. And so in Isaiah 45, verse 7, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I'm the Lord who does all these things. What I want us to be mindful of as we continue in this study is that we need not fall into the um, backwards thinking that God is just up there doing the nice things and we say thank you for that nice thing and thank you for this pleasant thing. Sometimes there's calamity that's created and we don't really know why we're going through it. Sometimes there's a hard season. Sometimes there's trial. But we know from other scriptures that that produces character, and it produces in us what puts God's glory on display. And so when you see calamity, don't see God as distant and aloof and disconnected, but see him having a sovereign, a sovereign plan over it all, and even taking what we meant for bad, or what someone may have meant for self-serving, to be self-serving, and he can turn that and, and make it work for kingdom good. So we need to be mindful that our God is sovereign, and nothing trumps him, nothing... Um, Nothing overpowers him, and nothing catches him off guard. What are some ways that we see many women in our culture acting like Leah and many men acting like Jacob? What are some ways we see women acting like Leah and men acting like Jacob? Many times women will try to be Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, if I have a child, then he'll love me. That's, that's a very, um, sadly, it's not a way of thinking that is just like, people do that? We're probably like, yeah, we've, we've seen that at one time or another. And what normally happens there? Yeah, normally he's a loser. 
and he doesn't stick things out. You don't usually hear a story where it's like, well, there were problems, and she decided she was going to try and get pregnant, and she was hoping that the baby would make him stay, and he saw the baby and just fell in love with her even more, and they just really, you don't hear that story very often. This is really a sad occasion. Um, Leah um, really wanted to have babies so that she could gain favor with Jacob. Now, there's a connection. When a child's born, there's absolutely a connection between uh, the husband and the wife. Uh, Psalm 137, I believe it is, says that children are a heritage from the Lord. Um, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. That it's good. Have babies. Have lots of them. Uh, Make babies when you're married. That's good. Here, she's trying to solve a problem with the baby, and that's not good. Um, uh, What keeps happening to Leah? She keeps getting pregnant. What do we know Leah, we know she was fertile, but what else was she? What did God see her as? As what? Yeah. His first, yeah, she, he saw Leah as Jacob's first wife and hated by Jacob. So what did Jacob not need to impregnate Leah? Love. That's how a lot of guys act like Jacob today, is that they don't need love to sleep with someone. It's, it's just, it's fine. That, that, that'll do. Okay, whatever. And in fact, they don't even need much, um, and they act like Jacob here. Leah wants to keep Jacob around by having a baby, and Jacob's like, yeah, I'll impregnate you again, whatever. And it's, there's not a lot of love. This isn't like a, a romance where it's like, oh, that is so sweet. She's pregnant again. She's hated. This is a really sad account. Um, I'm going to read aloud Genesis 30. Uh, this is, the whole thing's weird and jacked up. So just go with it and know that God is good and we'll talk through these details. So we've gone through, J- uh, Jacob keeps impregnating Leah. Leah is hated. She's had, what is it, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And then she ceased bearing. And then that gets us to chapter 30. This is going to get interesting. Chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf that even I may have children through her. She gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob's just racking up wives in this, this story. And Jacob went in to her and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. It's funny to me. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali or Naphtali, depending on what emphasis you put on what syllable. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah. He says, if you're bringing him back up, I'm bringing him back up. So she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. At this point, Jacob has four wives. That's jacked up. It's not supposed to be like that. Then Leah's servant, uh, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. Good fortune now. Um, So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, this is really messed up. 
Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you also take away my son's mandrakes? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Yeah, that just happened. Yeah, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for some of your son's mandrakes. Yeah, check that out. We'll talk about that. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. (laughs) So he lay with her that night, put up a real fight, didn't he? And God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar or Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. As I'm reading through this, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the noble and royal way that the 12 tribes of Israel came together. Through this, four wives, one dude, messed up. Verse 25, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I've given to you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor, favor, favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my, house, my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall give me, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Now pay close attention. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, is that if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you've said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob. And Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar. This gets weirder. Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. I have no idea what just happened. 
And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might, that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And here's the point. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Next week we'll get into this weird genetic stick-peeling breeding process. Not this week. Go back to 30 verse 1. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister and she said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. The children from Leah, we talked about this at the very end of the time last week, they produced envy in Rachel. The children from Leah produced envy in Rachel. This is not noble. This is an entitled Rachel stomping her feet and saying, I want a baby now. Consider Philippians 2.3. It says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Rachel fails in this right here. It's all rivalry. It's all conceit. And she counts herself as more entitled to a child than her sister, probably because she's prettier. Rachel's jealousy makes her feel a sense of entitlement. To whom does Rachel go to demand the baby? Jacob, okay? What does this reveal about Rachel? A few things. Well, she's not going to God, so she's got some mixed up things there. First, she's, who's she been blaming this whole time then? Jacob. Yeah, Jacob, what are you doing over there that you're not doing over here? Because she's having babies and I'm not. Give me a baby now, Jacob. That's what she's saying. Um, as if it were up to him to make the baby thing happen. This would be an accusation that um, she's saying, now look at how this gets so messed up, and I really want us to see how messed up this is. Because I don't want any of us to try and take multiple wives. Or marry your cousin and then her sister. <laughs> this accusation would mean... She's looking at Jacob and saying, Jacob, you're showing favor to Leah. And what does God see? Leah was what? Hated. You see how messed up everyone's perspectives are here? Jacob is frustrated. Leah has babies. Rachel doesn't. Rachel thinks that Jacob's showing favor to Leah. God sees Leah as being hated. Uh, everyone's perspectives are wrong because everyone's taking their eyes off of what God's design is in the first place. And it just gets worse and worse. Um, wrongly placed blame will occur when we're self-serving and we disregard what God's doing. Wrongly placed blame will occur when we're being self-serving and when we fail to pay attention to the things that God is doing. Um, You've got to ask the question when you... <laughs> I almost said when you find yourself in this situation, hopefully none of you find yourself in this situation. Uh, but you have to ask the question, given the situation, are we even doing things according to God's way? Have we abandoned his way altogether and are we reaping the, uh, the consequences at this point? Have we abandoned grace? Are we even considering what God has actually given us and done for us? Second, Rachel does not yet understand that children are a blessing from the Lord. She's asking the wrong person. Okay, Verse 2. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Um, think about the change here. 
Who's Jacob mad at right now? Rachel. Rachel, who he served Laban for for seven years. Rachel, who he probably dreamed about. Rachel, who kept him going in year six when he's like, this stinks. Rachel, the one who he saw at the well and moved the big rock because he was so in love with her and lift a heavy thing, impress woman, that whole thing. Rachel, he's mad at her now. Things are out of whack. He's now angry with the one who he was once head over heels in love with. You see the family dynamic becoming more and more strained. This house is falling in on itself. And he plays the whole, I'm not God card. It's pretty funny, actually, and sad. Things can be funny and sad. We, we should notice that it's sad, but be able to laugh at it because it's so stupid. Um, he says, uh, am I in the place of God? He, he plays the I'm not God card. You want a baby? I'm not God. I can't give you a baby. I'm not God. However, what is he really doing? He's really blaming God. He's saying, I'm not God, but he's actually saying, it's not my fault. Take it up with him. Turn to Genesis 25. I want us to look at a comparison here. Genesis 25, verses 21 through 22. This is a similar account, and Isaac sees that Rebekah is barren. Rachel has just gone to Jacob and said, I want a baby. And Jacob says, take it up with God. I'm not God. And let's look at what Isaac does in 21 through 22. Genesis 25, 21 through 22. Start in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padanaram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Same Laban. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together with her, and she said, If this is happening, uh, if this is us, why is this happening to me? What does Isaac do when Rebekah is barren? He prays for her. What does Jacob do when Rachel is barren? Yeah, you see the difference here. One says, I'm going to go to my knees in prayer, and I'm going to, I'm going to pray to God, not just because I want to get what I want from him, but because I trust him. And I know that this is a blessing from him. And I know that it works because it's the way that he said that it works. And so I trust my God and I'm going to go to my God in prayer as opposed to I'm going to blame God. The household dynamic is strained, crooked, messed up. And Jacob, uh, in reality, he's not playing the I am not God card as much as he's shifting the blame to God. I want to be careful about this because it's good to acknowledge all of God's works. But when his works are not what you desire, you should submit to him, not blame him. Y'all see that? It's really good to acknowledge all of God's works. But when God's plan is different from yours, what we're called to do is submit to him, not blame him. We submit and say, this is what God has for us at this point. We're moving forward in faith. We're praying that God finds us obedient and faithful. And we're going to submit to whatever he would have for us. The wrong thing to do is to blame God because that's what's going on here. He's saying, this is God's fault. You're not having babies. Leah is. This is God's fault. You should submit to him, not blame him for not doing what you originally wished. Submit, don't blame. And when times are hard and uncertain, pray to God like Isaac did. Don't blame him. It's a sobering reality. Look at verse 3 back in Genesis 30. 
Yeah. It's really inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this, this whole thing, you'll, you'll see inconsistencies like that through this whole thing. And it's interesting because he, in his own way, is stomping his feet, throwing a fit. And she, in her own way, is stomping her feet and throwing a fit. And there's no submission here. There's no mutual submission and there's no submission to the Lord. And there's, there's a lot of blame and there's a lot of demanding of your own way. Um, verse 3 in chapter 30, it says, Then she said, Here's my servant Bilhah. She's bringing him back up. Like, all right, we'll get this done. Here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, not just a, a baby maker, as a wife now. And Jacob went in to her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me. He's also heard my voice and given me my son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Uh, Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Apparently, uh, his words get through to Rachel, sort of. Rachel's like, I'm hearing you. Kind of. And Rachel pulls a Sarah. Remember what Sarah did, right? What did Sarah do? Yes, and who was that? Hagar, and how'd that work out? Yeah, fantastic. No strained family dynamic there, was there? You remember the birthday party that went wrong? Yeah, that, that, that whole thing was a mess. Rachel pulls a Sarah here. Jacob's a very busy boy, evidently, uh, going on wife three at this point. Um, a few more verses, he gets another one. Rachel has Jacob impregnate her servant, and oddly, then she gives credit to who? Huh. So what does the research say about what that phrase means? Yeah. Um, it is the uh, example, and we're, we're going to talk through it here in a little bit, but it's, I did what I want, I got my way, and I'll give credit to God so it doesn't look quite so bad, really more than anything. Um, and there's a lot of that we've got to pick through here. There's a lot of reading between the lines here because you see um, jealous conceit-driven wives making bold statements here. And we can't just say, oh, well, that's the truth. Because their, their judgment is very skewed. And so there's a lot in this chapter. We kind of got to read between the lines saying, is that really what God did? Did God, is that a, did, did God bless them or did they just make a baby with the servant? Like what happened there? Or did they make a baby with the servant and it is a blessing from God because children are a blessing from the Lord and a heritage. You know, it's kind of this... You see these lines that are blurred, and we've got to read through it and look through it. Um, she gives a credit to God. To give your servant to your husband for the sake of overcoming barrenness was really a common practice in the Near Eastern culture. In this culture, that was a common practice, to give your servant to have a baby. My question is, does that make it okay for Rachel and Jacob? Why? 
Okay? Okay? Yes. Go with that. What's wrong with it? This is what all the other women do. If they can't have babies, they... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, th these are all really important things. Yeah. Yeah, what we're seeing here is God's whole thing that's going on is he is calling out a people from the world to be his own. God is saying, I will draw people out of the world. I'll redeem them. I will make them righteous. I will eventually count Christ's righteousness as theirs. Not really eventually. Anyone who's counted as righteous, it's Christ's righteousness, um, even in the Old Testament. But the point is, is that God's calling out a people, that Revelation 18 picture that God's saying, come out of her, my people. There's a people being called out to put God's glory on display. This is not how God would have his glory displayed. This mess of four wives and a bunch of babies and over the course of about seven years who end up being the 12 tribes of Israel, that's God taking their sinfulness and turning it for kingdom good. But it's not God's design that, he, that any man have four wives. And so what we're seeing here is that it was okay in, as a cultural thing, but that's not okay for God's people. That should not be foreign to us. There's lots that's okay culturally that's not okay for God's people. We can't ever say, well, I know, but everyone else is doing that. That's fine. That's like the cheesy peer pressure junior high video series thing where it's like, everybody else is doing it. I'm going to do it. I mean, there, there's an insight that we need to have and an understanding and a wisdom that we need to have that says we're supposed to live according to God's ways. We can't just look around and say, what's everyone else doing? What is expected of me? You tell me what's expected of me and I'll, I'll do what everyone else wants and then just live according to those ways. We submit to God, and oftentimes that means it's very different from the culture. This was a common practice in the Near Eastern culture here, and it should not be common for God's people. What does it say about their trust? Yeah, they're not trusting God. They're saying, what's the cultural practice? We'll trust that. And then as far as God's promises go, God has promised Jacob to make, uh, that he's going to make their offspring as numerous as the sand and the stars. Remember? God has said, I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the sand and the stars. Uh, but they're showing impatience as they take matters into their own hands. Philippians says that God gives peace that exceeds understanding. A lot of times uh, when I've talked to people or um, trying to provide encouragement or counsel when you're in a situation that's very hard, that's, a, that's a, a key verse in Philippians, that God gives a peace that exceeds understanding. This means that when we don't understand why things are the way they are, we have a peace. And that peace is from God's promises. We know that God has made certain promises that cannot be broken. And the peace that exceeds understanding means I have no idea why the situation is the way it was. If this played out faithfully, it would be a picture of Jacob saying, Rachel, I love you, and I don't know why you're barren. I don't know why it's playing out like this, but I have peace that exceeds an understanding. I don't understand the situation, but my peace comes from the fact that God says your offspring will be as numerous as the sand and the stars, and I'm going to trust God. That's what faithfulness would look like here. And that's hard to do. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, to be honest, you know, I think the, the, the line is very blurred mm -hmm. when the statements you made about, you know, people need to see a difference between the first year. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's still sadly true today. Yeah. You know, I mean, 
Yeah. We're going to get in. Who's in charge here, so you really? needs to take the pants and put them on and we'll see if he does that at any point because he's clearly not wearing them at this point that's a very good well pardon the pun he doesn't have time to wear them um yeah uh um yeah there's so many um insinuations that can be made uh so peace from god's promises um what would some of those promises be for us today the, the promises that give us that peace that exceeds understanding Understanding is not what's most important. A peace from God's promises is. So what are some of his promises that daily, as God's people, we should cling to? Never leave you or forsake you. Well, I think in this case, I mean, he is the great provider mm-hmm. of all things. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Look at verse 7. Um, verse 7 is, uh, it happens again, essentially. They have another baby, and we find Rachel's motive. She, she feels like she's prevailed against two. Her sister. So, so her motive is really revealed here. She doesn't feel like she's prevailed against God or prevailed against Jacob or Mother Nature or whatever. She, this is really, at this point, about her and her sister. Like, you're having babies, I'm going to have some babies. And uh, um, in verse 9, and when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant bore Jacob a son. Again, we do not know why Leah ceased bearing, but what we do see is her saying, like, she's saying, I'm going to bring him back up if you're bringing him back up. You got a Bilhah, I got a Zilpah. That's <laughs> what she's saying. Um, and uh, she's not saying, God has seen it fit to bless me as he has, so now I'm content. She's not saying, look at these children. They're a blessing from the Lord, and I'm content. If my womb's closed, my womb's closed. She's saying, I'll bring him back up too. Um, It's very, very self-serving. And in verse 11, and Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Uh, Leah's servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. Leah reveals where she thinks true happiness comes from. Uh, These many children have not gone unnoticed by other women. And it's sad when God's people attribute faithless scheming to good fortune. Um, You can see this in health, wealth, prosperity gospel. What we're seeing happen here is a further breakdown and more of just this hodgepodge kind of mess uh, where it's a picture of religion that's self-serving, man-made happiness attributed sometimes to God, sometimes it's just good fortune, sometimes it's blessing because people think it is, because you look good. Um, it's just really a mess. It's just, you can't even tell what's about God. What, like the question you asked is the kind of question that comes up when you read this is, did God do that? What's God, is, are they attributing that to God or is it just good fortune or, or, or what is it? 
Um, it, it's a real mess is what it is. Uh, Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a responsibility that Jacob has at this point to lead his family rightly and explain the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. It's interesting, when so many of the Psalms, when we look back, we, we call him the God of Jacob. Frankly, the more I study Jacob, I'm like, wow, should, should we go with a better candidate here? I mean, he's kind of bonehead. Um, but uh, they, um, they knew of the one true God. They should have known more. Again, the problem with Jacob not um, being in control here at all uh, is, is definitely a problem. Would they have known of him? Yes. Would it have been mixed in with a lot of other cultural implications? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's some kind of importance there in her mind. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Also notice that the name of the child has nothing to do with Jacob. The name of the child has nothing to do with God. In verse 13, Asher. Um, uh, if you know someone named Asher, I'm not dogging on that. But um, rather it has everything to do with finding affirmation in what other people think. Uh, here. That's, that's the point here. Look at verse 14. This is where it gets really messed up. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. At least she asked nicely, right? Who's Reuben? Yeah, Jacob's firstborn from Leah. Okay? What does Rachel ask Leah for? Mandrakes, the audacity. How dare she ask for mandrakes, Reuben's mandrakes? Side note, mandrakes were considered the love fruit and were thought to increase fertility. Now, why is this significant? Rachel's current problem is what? No babies, mandrakes, love fruit, fertility. You see why she asked nicely, right? Uh, I, no. <laughs> this wasn't a shot in the dark. Mandrakes were understood to be, they were understood to be, uh, to be an increase, to give an increase of fertility in women. Evidently, uh, it was very convenient that Reuben had mandrakes at this point. This is petty. I mean, this really is a petty situation. Um, these women have moved from depending on God to depending on their husbands to depending on some external form of the ability to make a baby. Now, yeah. No, he's no more than seven. I'm hoping Reuben had earmuffs at this time. Where it's like, earmuffs, Reuben. Can I have your son's mandrakes? I'm hoping it was... Yeah, it's very odd. Yeah, I think it was probably, he was just collecting something. I don't think he was like, where's some fertility fruit for my weird moms? Uh, I think it's, I think it's a, uh, I think he just saw the mandrakes and probably brought them back. Um, and it just happened to be mandrakes. Um, these women have moved from depending on God to depending on their husbands to depending on some external form to make a baby. Uh, I'm not saying that all external helps for fertility are evil. I'm not saying that. I am not saying that all external helps for fertility are evil. I am saying you don't put your hope in them. You put your hope in the Lord. It's not evil. 
It's a very sensitive subject, especially for anyone who's had to use those or make use of them. However, they're not, you're not to put your hope in that. You don't take your hope from being in the Lord and putting them in any some sort of physical external help. That's not where our hope goes. Not saying they're evil, but you don't put your hope in that. And verse 15, but she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you also take away my son's mandrakes? Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Drama, classic textbook drama between sisters right here. Textbook drama. Is it not enough? Now you want this. My precious mandrakes, who do you think you are? The audacity. But what is Leah still guilty of in all this mess? Leah's saying, how dare you? <laughs> what has Leah done? What is she guilty of? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Jealousy? Turning baby-making into a sport? Being there on the wedding night when Rachel was supposed to be there? She played a role in that. She didn't just wake up and say, oh, how did this happen? She was an active participant. Guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they get worse and worse. The mandrakes, this mandrakes thing is the apex of how jacked up the household is. To make it clear, Rachel just pimped out Jacob to Leah for some produce. That just happened. That's what happened. Sad, sad, sad. Does this remind you of anything we've previously encountered in Genesis? Selling and buying something of extreme importance with something very insignificant. Birthright, the red stew, it's very similar. Very similar. Here's some red stew for your birthright. Here's some mandrakes for a baby. Very similar. Giving way to the solicitations of the flesh, not taking into account the more important things, and inevitably playing the victim. Look at verse 16. When Jacob came <laughs> from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. Uh, Leah doesn't even try to hide it from him. Why? <laughs> that is a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. He, he pulls a total guy move here. I'm not going to lie. He's like, okay, sounds good to me. Whatever. If that's what you want to do. Yeah. Um, the other part is that she feels completely entitled. He's like, Jacob, I gave up the mandrakes. Do your part. She feels totally entitled, doesn't she? Completely entitled. And as long as he keeps his end of the deal, a deal struck without his knowledge, everything's going to be just fine. Uh, what do you think Jacob should have thought upon hearing this from his lovely wife? Oh, how you've swept me off my feet with your loving words. We shall lie together. Yes, seriously. Yeah. You would think Jacob at this point would say, Leah, seriously, this is jacked up. Leah, you cannot purchase me with mandrakes from Reuben. Leah, 
you and Rachel talked about, did you talk about it in front of Reuben? This is not okay. I'm not going to do this. This is messed up. There is an imbalance here that is unhealthy. And I'm no, I'm not going to do that. Instead he goes, okay. I'm sure he did it just like that. Just a total goober. Okay, let's go do it. Um, we need to talk is what he should have said. We need to talk. Instead, he pulls the temple guy, moves, says, okay, look at verse 17. In verse 17, uh, God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. In my opinion, verse 17 is a hard verse. At first glance, and we're going to be closing with this whole thing, but at first glance, this seems like a pretty easy verse to just want to toss out the window because it's hard. It says, Leah conceived again and she bore, or, or sorry, uh, God, li- there's so much conceiving going on. I get the verses mixed up. God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Now, one might think he listened. That means she must have prayed. But when did she have time to pray? I mean, it's clear what they're about. When did she have time to pray? Was it between this deception and this lie? Or this deception and this lie? When, when was she praying and, and God heard her? It's necessary to remember that God listened to Leah and she conceived. It does not say that Leah earned God's favor or asked rightly or even had a briefly appropriate motive. This, like the whole passage, is a picture of grace. Why did God open her womb? It's his will. He has a plan. No other reason. Receiving what we don't deserve... Uh, should not be so foreign a concept to us. I look at that and I think, oh, what? But receiving what we don't deserve, that's, that's grace. And it shouldn't be a foreign concept to us. Look at verse 18. Leah said, God has given me my wages. My wages. Because I gave my servant to my husband. It's like the most jacked up phrase. So she called his name Issachar, Issachar, whatever. Just because this is what Leah says happened does not mean this is what is reality. Leah says, God gave me my wages. This is where biblical wisdom and insight is needed. Uh, We have to sort of read between the lines here. Leah's saying what? God gave me my wages. What do wages indicate? That you earn something, okay? What has Leah really done and earned? What is she doing here? Sin. And what are the wages of sin? Okay. Leah does not know it, but she has been shown great mercy. And sometimes the role of the believer is to show someone that they've been given great mercy and encourage that person not to neglect it, but to repent and to follow Jesus. Look at verses 19 through 21. Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun afterward. She bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. I think Leah here is very guilty of acting similarly to her father. What did her father treat his daughters like? Property. Yeah, an endowment is property given so that someone can have the life that they want to have. So she's very guilty of viewing her children as an endowment in the same way that Laban viewed Leah and Rachel. Whose honor is she seeking? She wants to receive honor from her husband, not give honor to God. So you see things are, are confused here. And then Dinah is mentioned because there's a really incredible chapter that I can't wait to teach through uh, here in just a few chapters away. Um, The last part here, that that God remembered Rachel. 
And God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. To say that God remembered does not imply that he's forgotten something. We got to be careful when we see, because I look at this and I'm thinking, it looks like Rachel and Leah have it in good with God, right? But to say that God remembered does not imply that he forgot something. And to say that God listened to Rachel does not imply that he was waiting on her to tell him what to do. Don't imply it because it's not implied in the scriptures. God is sovereign. There is none above him and his actions are not dependent on ours. How many children has Rachel birthed to this point? None. Joseph is the first one for Rachel. There's a lot of grace shown here. Joseph is the first to birth her, and Rachel names the boy Joseph, which means may he add, indicating that she hopes to have even more. And we'll talk about Benjamin in a couple chapters. It's actually a really sad uh, commentary. So, uh, hopefully you're encouraged by this very peppy, uplifting story. Uh, but I really do hope it reminds us to keep our eyes on the Lord and do things according to His purposes, and to see what danger we fall into when we're self-serving, and when we are just going about it however the culture says we should, or however we feel like we should in a given day. Let's pray uh, to that end, and I'll hang around if you want to talk, whatever. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you uh, for our time tonight. We pray that you're honored and glorified, and I pray that you would find us trusting you in every detail. Lord, we can take great comfort in knowing that even the most seemingly insignificant details are completely in your power. And... Um, Lord, as much as we laugh at, at this story and as, as ridiculous as it seems to read it out loud, um, the reality is, is if, if the manuscripts of some of our lives, mine included, were read out loud, it would seem as ridiculous. We often do things that just are not in line with faithfulness. And we are impatient and we seek our own remedies to our own problems, not realizing and not being mindful that you are sovereign and that you have a plan, and that you've given us promises that we're supposed to cling to. So, Lord, I pray that as we close tonight that you would um, keep us mindful of your promises. Help us to stir one another up by way of reminder so that we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We thank you for Jesus. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.